0: <laughs> oh, I love it. How fun. Well, we are obviously um, not going to be in uh, Matthew today. We're taking a three-week break. I know, we will get back to it though, Eula, I promise, I promise. So if you'll open up your uh, Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We've already read part of the passage, but we're going to reread it. And whenever I read this story, it's funny because I, you know, we've all grown up with uh, Christmas Uh, stories on TV and all that. And how many of you are watching any of the Hallmark things? Oh, brother. If there's a purgatory for husbands, that's it. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) But one of my favorites is the Charlie Brown Christmas. And this is actually what uh, Linus, you know, he takes that that moment right there towards the end where he reads this. And I always think of this when I read this passage. But let's, uh, let's read and then we'll uh, go through this. Oh, and by the way, I, I did forget to mention this. This is also our Benevolence Weekend. This is uh, the weekend once a month where we collect monies uh, for our fund for those who are uh, in need and we can help pay for any crisis that they might have where they are, are short financially. Um, so at the end of the service, there'll be there's cards on the back table if you want to... Uh, Grab one of those, put it in there, and then we'll uh, put it set aside in our fund, or even write on check. If you have a check, you can write you know to the Bridge Church, more Park, but in the memo put benevolence. Okay, so I'll remind us again in a minute. So here we go. Luke chapter two. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be res- registered. And this is talking about the whole Roman Empire. This was the first registration when Quirinius, Quirinius, sorry, was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, in the north part of Israel, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, this is in the south, which is called Bethlehem, just about five miles away from Jerusalem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, significant. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed. They were engaged. Again, the Jewish engagement was they were engaged for a year. They would not uh, have sexual relations, but it was an engagement. Um, His betrothed, who was with child. Okay, again, this is scandalous. She was with child before they were officially married. So there's already a scandal here, right? But we know how it happened because we were told in the Scriptures, how was was she pregnant with uh, the baby Jesus? power of God overshadowed and created in her womb, right? The baby Jesus. Uh, This is a miracle. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Again, uh, just so we don't miss this, God sovereignly controls nations and peoples, the Roman Empire, it was time to do a, a, you know, a census. And so it, it relocated Joseph and Mary to the right place for the child to be born. God used nations and, and a thing like this law to uh, go back to your hometown and got them to be in the right place to fulfill the prophecy of Micah 5.2. God's in charge. Don't miss that. He moved Romans, a Roman Empire, to do what he needed to do. And in the same region near Bethlehem, Bethlehem's up on hills, there's fields down below where they would keep the sheep, there were shepherds out in the field watching over their flock by night. Many say these sheep were the sheep that they would be using for the Passover because it was so close to Jerusalem. It's Kind of interesting that the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world was born in that region, right? Where am I? There we go. And an angel of the Lord... Appeared to them. That's scary because angels were not small little cherubs, but big. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. It's dark night, and all of a sudden it's very bright. And as a result, they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ. It's the Messiah, the Lord. Not the Messiah, a powerful ruler to be. This is the Lord. Wow. And this will be a sign for you. So when you go up to Bethlehem, this is what you look for. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. They, there was no, no normal room for them, no hotel. They, had, they, were in, uh, they were in the overflow, basically. And suddenly there was an angel with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host. That means army, folks. It wasn't some sweet little choir. This was the army of God singing this proclamation of the arrival of the promised one. The angels were Stoked. And they couldn't stop singing. They are praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Peace, because He's going to provide salvation. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's get over there to Bethlehem, quick, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying uh, that had been told them concerning the child. They didn't keep it quiet. This was not a secret to them. And all who heard it, who who are they talking about? Was it just Mary and Joseph who heard what the, the shepherds were saying? No, it's everyone around there. There's a commotion going on. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them this just doesn't make sense to us. Man, God's been silent. There haven't been prophets for 400 years, and all of a sudden angels are showing up, and we've got shepherds saying this stuff, and what? But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Ah, There's so much to say about this. I'm going to keep moving, because it's not even the main point of what I'm getting to. And the shepherds returned to the fields, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as had been told to them. I'm going to keep going, though, because there's more to this story. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised according to the law, he was supposed to be as as a young male, he was called Jesus, which means God saves. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. They are just obeying what the angel said, you'll name him Jesus. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, this is after 40 days, so 40 days after the birth of Jesus, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. This is their firstborn son, they're obeying what the law said. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This was the sacrifice provided for poor people. They were not rich, this Mary and Joseph. It just tells us that they were poor, and yet they were obedient to the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem at this time whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, one of the titles of the Messiah from Isaiah several places. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles, not just salvation for the Jews, but it's for all peoples. And for the glory of your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what what was said said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fallen rising of many in Israel, And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This glorious salvation was going to cause conflict. Because as amazing as this this child is, and was going to be, there are going to be many who would reject God's provision of salvation. We see that today, don't we? And there's also a prophetess, Anna. The daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. She was married for seven years. And then she was a widow until she was 84. So she's about 84 years here, 84 years old. She did not depart from the temple. She was, talk about a church lady. This is her. But she was not the dour, you know, you know, mean one. She was She was devout. She was worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She saw the Messiah and started telling. She couldn't hold it in. It's not a secret. Christmas is not happy holidays. It's Merry christ We're not supposed to keep this secret. It's about Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that as we walk through this, that we would be encouraged, that we'd be equipped, that we'd be challenged, that we'd be people who, uh, like Anna, like Simeon, like the shepherds who couldn't stop talking about you, about the the wonder of your salvation, of the, the joy of the good news, and the peace that's available through Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gift we have from you in Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. The last couple of weeks here in Ventura County have been a little bit tumultuous, right? You know, even the fire, even now, it's gone north and it's heading in, uh, past Carpinteria. It's headed towards uh, Montecito, Santa Barbara area. And uh, like I, I shared earlier, you know, we have friends who've lost their homes. You know, we praise God, we told you about this last week, that the fire bypassed uh, our Renee's mom, my mother-in-law's house. I mean, within 150 yards, you know, right across the street, across Foothill, Ventura Missionary Church got hit, and it was, we can see it from the back, her backyard. So it's amazing that so many were spared, but also so many lost so much. And uh, we've seen a couple deaths now, so it's, it's, it's not done. But... Uh, So it's hard when we start talking about Christmas, we want to say Merry Christmas, but there's so many, especially in our area, who have experienced loss, and it's going to be hard for them to uh, enjoy, you know, Christmas like we get to. And this is a little side note, but I've contacted the Ventura Police Department, and they have approved charities or funds to send money to if those of you want to donate and I, I'm waiting to hear back from them. They're obviously busy, but I, I want to make sure that we don't, because there's a lot of scams going on right now. And Chris, you probably have some uh, hints on what to do there, too, through Habitat, so I'll talk to you afterwards. But we'll get the word out to you, because we do want to be a blessing in tangible ways, if at all possible, in the name of Jesus Christ. So please know that, that there's more coming there, more info coming. But, you know, this is going to be, this is an unusual time for our area, and, and I, I want to make sure that... You know, we don't talk about the nebulous, oh, Christmas is so great and the gift, but to talk about how the hope we have in Christmas is something that is tangible and real, even for now, because it is. Folks, we have people who have lost homes, but even if we have homes, we can never, ever think that we're secure because we have that, or if we have money. Nothing in this life is, is sure. Is nothing in this life is something that we can set our hope on because it is going to pass. It is. But we we want to to see what God has done in this simple message about Jesus coming to die for us. It's 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 so that's why I preach on it all the time, because that is our hope. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is God's gift of love. Some people, you know, when I'm going through seminary, you hear about different, you know, ideas or theologies out there. And one of them is that this is the weirdest thing, but it kind of emphasized something to help me see, see this clearly. But that, that Jesus came and, and because of his sacrifice, he, he, he made God, he convinced God to love us. Because God was the angry God who's waiting to punish us because of our sin. But Jesus, because of what He did, convinced God to truly love us. No. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved. That's His motive, His character, that He sent, that He gave His Son. We can't miss that. Reading Luke 2, again, what we just did, gives us the heart of the story of what Christmas. It's a narrative about what happened 2,000 years ago in Israel. Luke 2 takes us to this tiny little village. Okay, it wasn't a big city, right? It was outskirts of, of, of Jerusalem. It was, you know, we had, and then we go outside even of Bethlehem to the shepherds. And we have to understand shepherds were the, considered the lowest of Jewish society. They weren't to be trusted. They were generally the ones who would steal things and they're kind of dirty, you know, unclean because they dealt with animals. So, It's amazing that that is who he would go and announce the birth of the Savior to. He didn't go to Jerusalem to the palace or to the temple. He went to shepherds out in the field. God breaks in to human history. Again, I mentioned this while we're praying. For 400 years, there had been no prophets in Israel. They're wondering, has God forsaken us? We're under the oppression of the Romans but here, God breaks in, and history forever changes at this climactic announcement, and then the arrival of the promised one, the Messiah, the King to come. Because remember, Messiah means the anointed one, the, a promised king who is going to come. That's what that Jewish word means, or Hebrew word, Messiah. The Greek word for it is Christ. Just That's why we call him Jesus Christ. We could call him Jesus the Messiah. 2,000 years before the time of our story in Luke 2, 2 2,000 years before that, God had made a promise to the the head, the patriarch of the Jews, which was Genesis 12. His name was Abraham. That's where God said, hey, you're going to be a blessing. Your descendants are going to be a blessing to all the peoples, to the nations. 2,000 years later, we've got these, the Jews are in a tiny country, smaller than New Jersey, the state of New Jersey, that little tiny piece of land, forgotten people almost. And they're wondering, what? God said we're going to be a blessing to the nations. Those who bless us, they'll bless. Those who curse us, they'll curse. What's going on? God says, ah, I've got a plan going on here. He's in control of time. Memories of past glory they had, and they're wondering what's going on. And now we've got the glory of God showing up, saying, "Now's the time." God breaks in, sovereignly directing human history to carry out His plan through His choice, chosen one, the anointed one. He's the promised Emmanuel. We sang like, "Come, O oh, come, who?" Emmanuel, right. And that's, that's right out of Isaiah 7.14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called God with us. That's what Emmanuel means. God among us. He's the promised son who would be the divine ruler of Isaiah 9.6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, he'll be a ruler, shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God... Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Look at his titles, you guys. You can't miss this. He was going to be divine. So one aspect this morning, we're going to do three three weeks on Christmas. This week is hope. There's hope. Next week is peace. We're talking about peace and where it's guaranteed in Scripture. And then finally, purpose. Christmas, again, is not to make us hunker down and get all cozy and just... Stay like this. I'm talking about visually. Christmas is to be celebrated with family, but the whole point is to be broadcast. There's purpose in this. Again, the shepherds, they weren't quiet about it. Anna and Simeon. Think about the commotion these two made. Here's Simeon singing out a huge praise song. Anna, she's telling everybody. But this we're going to look at hope. And again, when we talk about hope, our culture uses it like, oh, I hope you have a good day. Or, I hope to catch some good waves this week because there's a swell in. What is that called? Actually, wishful thinking. It's a wish, right? But hope in the Bible is not a wish. Hope in the Bible is a confident expectation. It's it's an earnest waiting for something that's going to happen. And it's, it's, it's a confident expectation because of who Made the promise. And who makes the promise? God does. One who never lies. One who also has the power to do what he's going to do. That's why Christmas, we we start in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, with the census. I said it already, but God controls the nations to accomplish his purposes. God has the power to accomplish what he said he's going to do. And we know that God works all things together for the good of those who are called, who love God. He is in control, and He is going to accomplish what He said He will, so we can have hope. All right? I picked a verse that's, we're not going to look through all through Luke chapter 2, but right at the end of, of Romans, Romans Paul lays out this grand theology of God's plan for salvation in chapters 1 through 11. Then chapters 12 through 15, it's all about, okay, so here's how you live because of that. And at, in chapter 15, verse 13, is a great verse where Paul just responds. And he sums up his feelings and his wish for the Roman Christians. Okay, so it's Romans 15, 13. And that's where we'll be this morning for just a few moments. We're going to see a, a, a hope, a hope in Christmas that helps us focus, and, and a hope that makes a real difference in our day to day lives, even when we face things like a fire that burns down our home. So let me read this passage. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So what's the basis for real hope in this passage? It's God Himself. He's called the God of hope, right? No amount of money will establish your hope. No institution could be a solid foundation. Government's not your hope. Right, we see that, don't we? Government all over the place. But some people think we can legislate and we can have people have funds set up because that's our hope. Oh, government's going to save us? No, it's not. Oh, if I accumulate a lot of property, I get my, the IRA all set up. I get a good house. I have the right cars. Oh, I'll have hope. What did 2008 teach us? Right, 2008 we saw. I, I had a friend who was very wealthy. He lost a third of his investments for his retirement overnight. He didn't, but, he, but he knew that that wasn't his hope. God was his hope. No human can guarantee anything, especially of eternal value. You may have a friend, a close friend, who's given you a listening ear and a, and a shoulder. and those, That's all good, but that's not where you can place your hope, is it? Because you know what? That human will fail you at some point. Why? Because we're human. (laughs) We're human. There's only one who can be your sure foundation, a rock on which to build our lives and our eternity on. The only one who is totally and perfectly trustworthy. The only one who is powerful enough to back up his promises. He alone is the God of hope. All other ground is sinking sand. Do you recognize that? From the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus told the people listening, he who listens to my words and builds his life, his house on it, is like building his house on a rock. If you disregard my words, you're like building your house on sand. So when the floods come, what happens to your house? It gets washed away. Again, Jesus, a man, was telling the people, my words are the ones that you need to build your life on. That's crazy for a man to say. We have people like that in our society, but they're usually locked up or they do something totally crazy and get arrested or something else, right? Jesus was saying this but he backed up all that he said and did by dying on the cross and then rising from the dead. Historical fact. This Jesus is unique in all of human history. But let's look at this. Let's look at some passages. We can hope in God. Notice, the, notice that little word there, in Not hope about God, but we get hope in God. Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation. I'm I'm not going to read all the passages I have, but uh, there's hope in Christ. So that we were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. He's talking about... God's eternal plan of redeeming and saving His chosen people. We have hope in Christ. When you become a Christian, you know how the Bible it talks about our salvation. It means that you are in Christ or united to Christ. The only hope you and I have is if we are in Christ. You might know about Christ, but if you're not in Christ, you're not saved and you're not going to heaven. Does it make sense? A lot of people who know about Jesus say, well, I've been to church, and I've heard about Jesus, and I know Jesus. Well, I believe that about Jesus, but they don't believe in Jesus. What's the difference that I'm making here? It's relationship. It's a committed trust saying, I belong to you, and I'm going to follow you the best I can by your grace helping me. It's a saving faith, folks, that we're talking about. People say, oh, I have faith. No, if you don't have faith in Jesus, you've got the wrong object of your faith and you're not, you don't have a saving faith. Our hope is only in God through Jesus Christ. Okay? Because that's why Christmas is merry, happy, because of who Jesus is and our hope in Jesus. We can have hope because of God's steadfast love. You know what steadfast love means? His covenant love that you can count on because of who is giving you the love. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope, where? In His steadfast love. We have hope in God's Word. See, I could be making up all this stuff, but if I, if can, I, if I can show you in the Scriptures where it is, now we can have hope, right? It's Not just that crazy crisp, but no, the God's Word says it. Well, let's look at it. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your Word. To hope in God is to hope in His Word where He has revealed Himself. We have the written Word provided by the living Word. What did Jesus call Himself? The Word, John 1. And and behind this all we have the promises of God, Acts 26. And now I stand here on trial. This is Paul talking. He's giving his testimony. I'm on trial here because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. Paul was willing to be imprisoned and die because of the hope he had in the promises of God in the past, but revealed most clearly in Jesus Christ. The shepherds in our story from Luke chapter 2 formerly had little hope. By their own society, they were looked down on. That's how they even viewed them, that was their identity. I'm a shepherd. Again, we think of King David. Oh, he was a shepherd. We've got to understand, in Jewish society at the time of Jesus, you know, shepherds were looked down on. And again, they're in a tiny little country, an oppressed country. They're in a little village outside of Jerusalem. And they're even outside that village. You couldn't be in a worse spot unless you were a leper. But something changed. God broke in. The Savior had come. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. That is a prayer that is actually a, a calling out to people to put your hope in God. And that's what I would say. I've actually visited a guy this week, and this is my hope for him, that he would put his trust in God because he is the rock in salvation, right? God is our source of hope. And next in this verse, we see that the fruit of real hope will be joy and peace. So automatically, you should be thinking, wait, if joy and peace is the fruit of God's work in me, the fruit of His salvation, if you don't have joy and peace, what should you be asking? One, are you saved? But the other part is, what, are you, what do you need to learn now to help you find and recognize the joy and peace you have? Okay, Because that comes from where it says, may, it says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. See, because we believe, we have joy and peace. That is ours. Okay? Not only do we have eternal hope because of our salvation, we can also have what's called experiential hope. The hope you actually experience, that that you feel. We're talking about feelings here. Romans 5, uh, 1 through 5 is a great passage that just summarizes so much of what happens in salvation. But look at verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, what does that word justified mean? Declared not guilty. It's a legal term. We talked about this at Easter. You have been, de- been declared, if you believe in Jesus, you've been declared not guilty. Because of what Jesus did for you. He paid the price. You are now in the righteous category. Not because you are perfectly obeying, but Jesus perfectly obeyed and we get his righteousness. You guys get that? When we say justified by faith, that's so important. It's nothing you do to be justified. It's what Jesus did for you. You're declared not guilty by God because of Jesus. And if you're in Christ, that's your category. That's a good category? Eternally true. But check this out. What verse, goes on, what verse 2 goes on to say, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. It's our new standing before God. It's a standing of grace. And because of this, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Excuse me. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What? This new standing we have, we can even see that sufferings are something we can even rejoice in. Oh, that's hard. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You see that? we actually can experience a hope that gives us steel to last through endurance. It produces a character and we become characterized by hope. There's people who have lost homes there that we know one family where, you know, they're they're okay. They're okay. It doesn't feel good, but they have hope. And there's a lot. I mean, we, there's a lot of people who are, you know, Christians in that area have been, you know, doing Instagrams, been seeing some of these things that they still have hope. Why? Because of who they belong to. Not what they had, their possessions, but who they're possessed by. It's by God, through Jesus Christ. Joy. What is joy? It's that settled, settled sense of gladness, happiness that's not determined by your circumstances. You can still have joy even when your circumstances stink. It doesn't mean you don't get sad or you don't feel other feelings, but joy is that settled sense of gladness in the midst of your trials, no matter if it's up or down. It's a joyful heart through trials because we see beyond the trials by the power of God, by faith in Him. Peace is that sense of rest, that free from conflict feeling. You're not at war neither in relation to God nor man. You're not, there's no conflict in your heart. That's that settled sense of rightness, also not determined by our circumstances. And hope can characterize us, not that fleeting sense of hope, but one that becomes a part of who we are because we're in Christ, trusting in Him. A hope that flows from God's love, empowered by this Holy Spirit who indwells us. And we can grow in hope. Do you want to be a more hopeful person? Here's the deal. Hope can grow. It says that right here. The power for real hope is the Holy Spirit. In verse, uh, the end of verse uh, 13 of Romans 5, it says, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I'm going to summarize all I have written down here because i I'm still got a full page and a half, but I'll just say this. Here's the deal. We have hope because of what Jesus did. That's our eternal hope. We also have hope now that can grow by the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's why He does it. It's not just to make us feel better. It's because it's supposed to have an evangelistic appeal. You guys have all heard of this verse, haven't you? Where do I have it? But in your hearts... Honor Christ, or set aside Christ in a special place in your hearts, in your inner man. Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense, to give a reason to anyone who asks you for a reason. For what? For the hope you have. Christians, if you're always walking around down and depressed and always focusing on what you don't have, or something that's happened to you, and that's all you focus on if you've got a critical spirit. You are not displaying what God is intended for you to display. He is intended for us to display hope. Why? So that people would see it and say, why do they have hope? The world is desperately seeking for answers for a hope. And they're supposed to see it. Because it says, always be ready to give an answer for the, to give a reason for the hope you have. He intends us to be people of hope so that people would say, what is this hope you have? We've had people in our church here. I stuck around this church because I've never seen the kind of love you have here. But they're also supposed to see our hope. Are you a hopeful person or are you down? Are you what we call Eeyore? Remember Eeyore for Winnie the Pooh? Uh, You know what? Some of our personalities weren't quiet or somber. That's fine. But is there any hope? Guys, Christmas is supposed to be full of hope, even if your house burnt down. Do you still have that settled sense that God is in charge, the loving God, even though this situation is terrible, yet I will trust Him. You read the Psalms so many times. David cries out, "Oh, you know the people are attacking me, and it's so terrible, and you know they're chasing after him." And he's just, but he always ends up. Yet I will trust him. Yet will I praise him? He draws his heart back to God. Do you have that? If you don't, let's talk. You may be saved. That's. I'm not saying you're not saved if you don't have this that sense of hope. But here's the deal. You're missing out on what God has given to you in Jesus Christ. So God's gift for us is Jesus' Son, and because of that, we can have hope. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that uh, we would be a people who'd be growing in hope, abounding in hope, filling our hearts with joy and peace that people would see and wonder. God, I I pray that, that this Christmas we would... Uh, just just celebrate you more and more. That people would just wonder why are those Christians so full of hope? What is this hope they have? Who's this? What do they have that I don't? And God, may, may, may we be like Anna and Simeon and the shepherds tell everybody who's around them about the greatness of who you are and what you've done. We love you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.